Good morning, everyone. Nice to be here with you today. If uh, you are new to the church, let me introduce myself. My name is Andrew Main. I'm Gateway Ormo Campus Pastor, and so it's great to be with you here at Mackenzie this morning as our Ormo congregation is uh, meeting and worshipping down at Livingston College where we meet each week. Um, just, I love coming back. This has been my church for 20 years now. In my church for 20 years now, I've been on the team in some capacity for 17, so this is home and uh, the memories for me of what God's done in my life in this place are so rich and I'm so grateful for this community of people. So it's awesome to be able to talk to you today as we continue our simple series. And simple, uh, we're talking very, uh, some big themes in life that Jesus has some things to say and the Bible has some things to say about that are just simple principles about some big areas of life. They're simple principles. They're not always easy to grasp and apply, but they're simple. And so today I have the uh, privilege of continuing that. But before I do, let me just save myself some time at the end of the service because one of the things I love about coming to Mackenzie is the number of people that have shown such an interest in what's happening at Gateway Ormo. And so I'm going to answer all those questions really briefly for you now, just to let you in on a little bit of what's happening down the freeway. We've been going for five and a half years now. That's really hard to believe. I had hair and a much skinnier body when I left this place some years ago. And, uh, but five and a half years. And if you ask me how things are going, I can sum it up by saying things are going really, really well. Uh, there's a lot of ways that you can um, sum up things going well, and there's a lot of stories that I could tell, but it's great to be here this week because last Sunday, we had our biggest ever Sunday attendance at Ormo. We had 203 people in church, right? Now, as you look around today, that may not seem like a lot, but when we left here five years ago with 50 people, I remember that the day that we first hit triple figures on a Sunday, there were high fives going everywhere. And we stepped into this year just saying, God, we believe that we might see 200 people gathered together one Sunday. Well, we've done it twice now this year and we're celebrating God's faithfulness. And I know the number of people sitting in your seats on a Sunday isn't the only indicator of health, but it does say that there's more people from our community that are connecting with their local church and seeing Jesus transform their life and seeing a whole bunch of good things happen as they discover his plans and purposes for them. So continue to pray for Gateway Ormo. The thing I want to say to inspire you this morning is this. Gateway Multi-Campus Church is working and it's going really well. We're growing, we're being sustained uh, as we work together, as we share our resources, as we pull our great ideas, as we're led incredibly well through our governance structures and our board of elders and, and Jason, the senior leadership team. It's it's flourishing. And so as we look to 2018 and we decide, we already have decided, I mean, you've had the Redlands campus pastor on stage this morning. As we look to the future and know that we're doing this again, we're really excited to say that God has got his hand on this and we're going to see some incredible things happen in our future together. Thanks, Gateway, for being a generous church, not just in uh, sustaining and building the ministry here, but also raising up teams that we can send out because that's the heart and the nature of God, isn't it? To be generous with all that we have. And that is a great segue into my message for this morning. Because today I want to talk to you about giving. Or more specifically, I want to simply talk about money. 
And everybody gets excited, don't they, when someone comes to talk about money? We're all cheering in this moment. Some of you right now are cringing because you got the courage in this last week or this last month to invite a friend of yours to church. And they're sitting with you right now and you're looking straight ahead. You don't want to catch their eye, but you're preparing for the talk that you're going to have with them as soon as practically possible, right? On the way to the car at the end of the service. And, and friend, let me just save some grief for the person that brought you today. This is what they want to say to you. It's not usually like that. They don't talk about money. Why today? Actually, it's just the guy from Ormo. Everybody else, they're good, they're normal, and they talk about things that we like to hear about. He just rolls up the freeway and decides to talk about the one thing I'd ask Jesus that nobody would speak about in church today, and that was money. You've just gone, yes, you've just saved me a conversation. I want to ask the question, why do we have that reaction? Many of us have had that at different times. But I want to suggest that there's something about money that we don't like to talk about. More than that, we don't like to have others talk about to us. Part of that, I think, is we always receive any message about money feeling like there's some kind of agenda that's going along with it. And so let me be completely upfront with you this morning about my agenda for today and where I'm heading and what I am doing and what I'm not doing. For the next 30 minutes, I want to talk to you in the context of our simple series about this very, very important subject. If there's an area in our lives that we add complexity or we get ourselves into significant places of anxiety and trouble, it is often around money. I love the reflections of the writer of Ecclesiastes. He talks about the more we have, the greater the anxiety. He actually says this. He says, as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I wonder how many of us have lay awake at night just filled with anxiety around some of the bills that we're trying to pay, some of the things that we're trying to achieve, some of the investments that we've got that are going wrong. I wonder how many of us just carry the complexity that money brings into our life. And this isn't a new thing. Ecclesiastes was written thousands of years ago. And Jesus, and we're going to look at some of the words of Jesus today, Jesus speaks so extensively to this in his ministry to people. In actual fact, if you read through the Gospels, Jesus talks a whole lot more about money than we do as a church. It's a topic he keeps coming back to. Why? because he recognizes the significance of this topic on people's faith walk, on their relationship with him, and on their relationship with each other. And so today, I want to unpack this message. And my agenda in doing that is that you might be able to confront the place that this has in your life. And whether you're a person of faith or you're a person that's exploring faith or whether you've been here 20 years or today's your first day, I think I'm going to say some things that are going to be helpful to you. So I encourage you, just stick with me. Don't write me off yet. At the end of my message, I am going to talk for five minutes very specifically to those of us that call Gateway Home about the church family budget. This is something we don't do very often. Once, maybe twice a year maximum. 
And so if you are a visitor here today, don't write off the first half, 30 minutes of my message, but in the last five minutes, I want to give you permission. You can switch off. You can update Facebook. You can tweet anything that I've said that you really liked or didn't like and you know, maybe work out what you're having for lunch. You can switch off in that moment because I really just need to talk to the church family for a few minutes because it's important that we together, God's called us to a vision and a mission together and he's, he's put before us the resources we need to make that happen. And so it's important that we occasionally have the conversation with the church family about where things are at with the budget. So I'm going to do that this morning, but you'll know it's very clearly when that begins. So let's jump into the message. And let's say if you have a Bible with you today and like to follow along with the Bible you have on your phone or your lap, you can turn to 1 Timothy, the first letter that the Apostle Paul writes to his young apprentice or mentor, Named Timothy, and we just see it in our Bible as 1 Timothy. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow it on screen because everything will come up there for you. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I'm going to read from verse 17. It says this Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul starts this little section at the end of this first letter. He's just given a whole bunch of instructions to Timothy. And this little paragraph, he starts by saying these words, Command those who are rich in this present world. And today I would like to pitch my message to those of us who are rich in this present world. And 89% of us took a sigh because we're like, we get to check out for the next 30 minutes because he ain't talking to me. But before you check out, Answer a question with me. What is rich? Before you check out, I want you to answer a question with me. What is rich? What is rich? I would like to suggest that for most of us sitting here, I'm only suggesting it because this has been my answer for a long time, is that rich is more. Rich is more. In other words, you look at your current circumstances, your current bank balance, your current salary, your current investment portfolio, and if someone says to you, what is rich? Are you rich? You say, I want to tell you about someone that I know that is the personification of rich, and it ain't me. So what is rich? A really interesting survey was done a few years ago now, 2011, it was done in North America. And so I apologize uh, that, you know, this is North American data, but I think the situation is very, very similar for us when the survey results come out. But the question that the Gallup organization put to their survey pool was essentially that question, what is rich? And they crunched all the data and they got everybody's responses and they came back with the magic number. You know what the magic number was? At that time in 2011, the median response to what is rich was an annual income of $150,000. Now a whole bunch of you here today just go, absolutely, $150,000. Imagine that. That would be fabulous. And then there's a bunch of you sitting here that are on $150,000 going, how did they come up with that figure? That's not rich. 
See, the figure doesn't help us in answering that question. But when you dig behind the figure in the research, we get a greater sense of people's attitude to the question, what is rich? And here's what they found. People that earn less than $50,000 a year, when asked the question, what is rich, you know how they answered it? And we reckon if you could earn $100,000 a year, man, where, where we stand right now with what we've got right now, you know, where I'm 38 grand a year, and when I think about it, Oh man, $100,000, that is rich. But then they moved up to the people that earned $50,000, $60,000 and said to those people, well, what do you guys think are rich? Well, it's definitely not $100,000 because that's not far off the horizon for us. We reckon the answer is $200,000. Man, right now where we stand, we look at all we've got, we look at what's coming in the bank account every week, a year would be rich. And they went to the next group, those that were earning $75,000 around that mark and said, okay, what do you think rich is? And they're like, it ain't $100,000. It ain't $200,000. It's at least $250,000. Where we're standing right now, rich is $250,000. And we're way off that mark. You You know what the survey found? That whoever they asked answered the question the same way. Rich is more. And you today might answer the question by saying, well, rich is definitely not where I'm at. Rich is more. Rich is more. Nobody would acknowledge that they were rich because rich was always somewhere up there. And here's the challenge for you this morning, and this might be the greatest challenge that I give you, and you might have to wrestle with this when you walk away from this place today. Once you get over your angst towards me, maybe you just have the humility to wrestle with this question. Are you spending your entire life focusing on those that have more? Is your question to that, answer to that question always more? Because you spend your whole life thinking, man, they've got the car I want. They've got the house I want. They've got the holiday I want. They've got the caravan that I want. They've got the phone that I want. They're putting their kids in the education that I want. Man, they eat rib fillet, we eat rum. Like, just whatever it is, you work out what you compare, but are you spending your whole life looking at somebody else and deciding that they're rich? Because as long as you do that, never will you embrace the reality of where God's placed you. And for some of us, the thing that we need to do is turn around. Stop looking that way and start looking that way because I guarantee you there'll be a whole bunch of people down that end of the spectrum that look at you when they're asked the question, what is rich? And they're thinking, man, if, if, if I just had a car to get me to church today, if I had some food for breakfast, I, man, if I could have the life that they've got, I would be rich. I would be rich. Let me give you an illustration that might help you in this. A normal day. I don't know what your normal day looks like, but guarantee there's some elements of this story that I tell that will be common to all of us. The normal day for me usually starts on the toilet. Doesn't start on the toilet. The coffee brings the toilet stop on. So, but somewhere early in the day, the toilet, and I just get into that comfortable, quiet room. I have five young children. It's the quietest room in my house. And I shut that door and I I'm, I'm apologize for those at this disgust, but I pull out my phone and I read the news. Anyone want to borrow my phone to make a phone call later? <laughs> anyway, and I sit down 
And even though it could be in there for 90 seconds, it's more like 90 minutes because of the peace of the toilet in our house. Anyway, I, I finish doing what I need to do and occasionally I need to make use of the beautiful soft three-ply toilet tissue that's rolled onto the wall and I use that. And If the smell is offensive to my family, I get the frangipani scented air freshener and I open the windows and I scent the room nicely and then I move over to the sink and I put some 99.9% bacteria killing soap on my hands and I wash my hands and then I freshen my face with that same water and often because it's first thing in the morning and the mouth's a bit dry and the breath's a little bit awful, I have a sip of water out of the basin in my bathroom. I wipe my face with the towel and then I leave the bathroom to the kitchen where it's time for breakfast. I mean, there's some days where breakfast isn't wonderful because the kids have eaten all the good stuff and all that's left is the leftovers like wheat bix in the cupboard. You know you're at the end when there's a box of wheat bix and that's all that's there. Or three-day-old bread, right? And, but anyway, I just make do with what I have to make do with and throw some things together to go to work. I walk out the door, get in the car to work. I drop the kids at school. And so I don't know what happens in the next nine or so hours for you, but for me, it's I head off to the office or I come to work or I do whatever I need to do. Some people, you head to school. Some people, you head to university. Some people, you don't head out the door because your work is happening at home that day. You've got a bunch of kids to look after. And uh, can I just say, and Chrissy's not here, but she can listen to the podcast. There's some days that leaving to go to work is a whole lot easier than what she's got to carry at home with five kids. Is there an amen to that anywhere? I'm just... Any of you that look after young children, you are my heroes. <laughs> so I head off to work. I come home at the end of the day. There's dinner happening around the table with the family. And then there might be a headache from the events of that day. So I go to the cupboard above the oven in our house and I pull out the medicine box and get some Nurofen or some Panadol and ease the tension of the day as I sit on my comfortable couch and reflect on all that has just gone before me and all that will happen again tomorrow when I wake up, start on the toilet, move to the kitchen, jump in the car. Do you get my perspective? Now, there's nothing spectacular about that story. None of us get up in church and go, man, I've got a great story to tell you of God's faithfulness. I went to the toilet today. I used some frangipani airspray. Some wheat bix for breakfast. I headed off to work and I got some neurofen at the end of the day because I had a headache. God is good. God is gracious. You know, let's put that on the video and play it to represent the goodness of God. But here's the, the, the thing that I want to say to you. You know what? The fact that you sat on the toilet, you know, pour water. Well, yeah, there's more people in this world that have access to a mobile phone than have access to a toilet. More people in this world have access to a mobile phone than have access to a toilet. It's incredible to think that you can drink out of any tap in your house. And, and if it wasn't the toilet, the water that goes into your toilet, you could actually drink. Don't do that, please. But you could because it comes out, comes out of the same pipes that your basin water and your sink water and every other piece of water in your house comes out of. And there's more people today than you would realize that are dying because of poor sanitation and access to clean water. You know, diarrhea. Diarrhea is the worst. You're a family of seven. Diarrhea is the worst. Like one goes and it's just a matter of time. And we, we had it through my family this year and I was the only one that didn't get it. But I tell you, after washing 480 sets of sheets, I was just praying that God gave me the gift of that bug so I could just lie in bed and ignore the mess that was happening with everybody else. 
It is not a good thing. But you know what? When it happens in my family, I know that a couple of days later we'll get through it, we'll get over it, and we'll move on. But in this world, diarrhea is the second largest cause of death among children under five, killing three quarters of a million children every year. You know what that comes from? Lack of access to good sanitation and clean water. You move to the kitchen, you think about the accessibility you have to food. 795 people, million people in our world, that's one in nine people on our planet, are undernourished. Every year, half a million children go blind because of vitamin deficiency. Things that you and I don't have to think about or we just take it for granted. There's 57 million primary age kids in our world that are missing out on basic education. And World Vision reports that poverty is responsible for the deaths of more than 6 million children before their fifth birthdays because they don't have a medicine box to go to. They just have poor access to health care, basic immunizations, proper nutrition, and things that leave people vulnerable to illnesses that you and I usually get through unscathed with, such as diarrhea, pneumonia, and healthy eating. Malnutrition is responsible for 45% of deaths in all children aged under five across our planet. Here's the sobering reality. Most of us don't think we're rich. But if we actually look at those things and take into account by turning around occasionally, maybe it changes our perspective just a little bit. See, most of us look at that really ordinary story that I've just told, and you know what we think about it? We think, well, yeah, that's normal. Actually, I don't love that story because our bathroom could really do with a makeover, and we're a bit over the cream bench tops in the kitchen. They were so 2004 when we last renovated. We wish we had the money like those people up there to renovate their kitchen because I don't like the color scheme. Turn around for a moment. Let me say something that many of us, including myself, need to hear right now. As you argue with me in your heart and your spirit while taking a sip out of the $5 coffee you got in the drive-thru on the way to church this morning. There's a high likelihood that in the context of the world that we live, that you are rich. You are rich. I don't know everybody's story here, and the reality is there'll be some of us right now they're in a really messy financial situation or things that have happened at work or things that have happened in our family or things that have happened with our health that we are really struggling. And I don't know all of your stories. The reality is if you're in that space right now, we as a church, our greatest desire is that we could gather around you, surround you with not just the love of God in feeling sense, but the love of God in a practical sense and help lift you out of that hole that you're in right now. But for a whole bunch of us, the majority of us this morning, we have to confront the fact that in reality, we are rich. We are rich. And so Paul says to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present age. And so before you check out, lean in. Because Paul's got some things that he'd want to say to you as he wanted to say to Timothy. Command those who are rich in this present world, one, to not put your hope in wealth. What's it mean to put our hope in wealth? Here's some sobering questions that I want to give you to ask yourself. You'll find them on your message notes. 
Number one, is your contentment and happiness linked to material things? In other words, when you close your eyes at night and you lie down and you think about the things that you love to change in life, is the answer this, well, if I could get what they got, if I could upgrade the car, if we could get the bigger house, if we could put our kids in a different school, if I could get access to the new iPhone 8 because my iPhone 5 is so old and needs upgrading, if, 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 if we could just get the family Netflix pack because we've only got the individual one, I'm sick of the kids wanting to watch stuff when I want to watch stuff and there's a clash with... If your sense of contentment and happiness is linked to material things... Ask yourself the question, am I putting my hope in wealth? Question number two, is your future guided by a financial plan or by a faith walk? I don't want to, please do not hear today that I'm advocating for poor stewardship. It's good to be wise with our money. It's good to have plans about how we use our money. It's good to budget. It's good to be sensible. It's good to be great stewards. But if you think about your future Is the thing that guides your future a financial plan or is it a walk with Jesus? Is it saying, actually, if I do this, 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 and this, I'll be okay. I'll be safe. I'll be comfortable. I'll be secure. Or do you sit here and say, Jesus, whatever it is that you want from me, whatever it is you need from me, wherever it is you want to take me, I'm in. Because they're different things. One is you controlling your destiny and one is actually choosing to walk in step with the Holy Spirit and allowing him to set the destiny and purpose for your life. Question three, is the answer to all your problems more money? Is it always the answer to your problems more money? If I just got more money, I could fix this. I could change this. We could reorder this. I'd be a whole lot happier. You know, some of us carry such anxiety over wealth and wealth creation and retirement planning. And don't let me hear, don't let, don't hear today that I'm saying none of those things matter or are important. But for some of us, those things have become the ultimate focus. Jesus makes it very clear that our goals, our greatest goals in life are not financial goals. He says this, Luke chapter 12, someone comes to him and says, Jesus, I want you to settle a dispute that I'm having with my brother. Tell him to cut me in on the share of the inheritance that he's got. Tell me to give me the money that he owes me. And Jesus says, I'm not getting involved in the family matter, but I want to say this to you. Hear this. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Jesus says, because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. See, some of us, our whole life is dictated, our whole sense of contentment is dictated based on our abundance of possessions. But Jesus recognizes the danger of our heart being captured by another object of worship. And do you want to know what it means to worship something or make something an object of worship? It means that it's got your devotion. It means that it's got your focus. It means that when it says jump, you jump. It means that it dictates your future. It's the thing that wakes you up at night. It's the thing that speaks louder into your heart and your spirit and compels you to action greater than anything else. And Jesus knows that we function best in life when he becomes the object of our worship. But he also knows that for many of us, wealth and possessions so simply take the place of greatest devotion and focus in our lives. Tim Keller says this, if we look to some created thing to give us the meaning, hope and happiness that only God himself can give, it will eventually fail to deliver and it will break our hearts. So Paul says, Timothy, go and command those who are rich in this present world not to put their hope in wealth, but to put their hope 
in God. Number two, Timothy, go and command those that are rich in this present world to do good and be good, uh, to be rich in good deeds. In other words, Timothy, go tell people that the best use of the resources they have is to use them for the benefit and the betterment of others. Use what they have for the benefit of others. Jesus goes on in that passage in Luke 12 to say to his disciples, here's what I want to tell you guys. Sell your possessions, give them to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. There's many ways we can use our resources for the benefit and betterment of others. We've already heard a great story this morning about some of the ways that some of you used your resources to make a difference, a real difference in the lives of some children in another part of our world. And the reality is we as a church, as we continue to be generous, are enabling ministry to happen and life change to happen as we say, God, we want to choose to do good and to be rich in good deeds. But I think Paul's got something else in mind here for Timothy. He'd want to say, okay, commandos who are rich in this world, that it's not just about using the, the material resources they have. They don't get a get out of jail card by saying, just throw your resources at stuff. See a need and throw your money at it. No, no, Paul says be rich in good deeds. In other words, be generous in what you give. But get neck deep. Get your hands and your feet into the work of the kingdom. And just chuck charity at stuff. Get involved in the work of the kingdom in every sense. Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to put their hope in wealth, to do good and to be rich in good deeds. And number three, Timothy, tell them to be generous and to be willing to share. See how simple this is? Be generous and be willing to share. There's a sobering reality that often the more we have, the less generous we are. And and I've seen this in my own life. This is some self-reflection, and I think a whole bunch of you are going to understand this illustration. You live life to the margins financially. And you say, God, where's the relief going to come from? And the relief comes from somewhere occasionally. You, know, you get a little bonus in the pay packet or, you know, some, some leave that you didn't expect or what, whatever. You know, someone just in your family gives you a gift and you don't see it coming. And suddenly you go, oh, the relief that we've craved for so long has arrived. That CPI increase was just what we were hoping for. There's some more margin. And then you go home and you say, we found some margin. Let's go out for dinner and celebrate. So you go out and you celebrate. And as you're sitting around dinner, you're going, what can we do with this margin that's been created? Well, I've promised you that I'd upgrade your phone for so long. And let's get that Netflix pack that we've been talking about. And man, it's time just, I'm sick of eating wheat bicks. Let's get some better cereal into the house. And before you know it, money hasn't even arrived in your account. You've already created the stretch into the new void that was created. Two weeks later, you're saying, where's the relief going to come from? How can we create more margin? And the more margin comes and you stretch to fill that as well to the point where you're always asking the question of how do we create more margin? But the reality is your practice suggests that the minute more margin is created, you're just going to fill it with something else. And, And there's a real challenge here because There's some studies that show that the more we have, the less generous we become. There was a study done a couple of years ago into the giving giving to the local church habits of people in the U.S. And they found this 
really sobering statistic. What they found was this, that the poorest were more likely to tithe or give a percentage of their income and to actually give a higher percentage of their income than the wealthy. What they found was that people that were earning $10,000 or less were giving on average around 11.2% of their income to the work of the local church. They then found that those that the Gallup study suggested were rich, those on $150,000 or more, were actually giving 2.7% of their income. The study found that there was a basic descent of percent of income given from the poor to the wealthy. What it is, there's something in when Jesus says that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And let's be very, very careful here. Do not walk away and hear that in any way the Bible teaches that what we have is wrong, that wealth is wrong, that richness is wrong. Paul Paul doesn't say, Timothy, command those who are rich in this world to get on your knees and repent of your sin and give it all away. He doesn't say that. He says, command those who are rich in this world to use it in this way. You see, the Bible would suggest if you, if you look into the history and look at the lives of you know, the, even some of the disciples and some of the people in the early church, it suggests that they were people that had means, that they were rich in the context of their community. So the Bible doesn't talk about wealth as evil in itself. Being rich is not wrong. Having money is not wrong. But making it the ultimate thing in our life is where the danger lies. Paul says a little bit earlier in that passage in Timothy this, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Jesus doesn't say money is the root of all kinds of evil. What he says is heart devotion to money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. He says some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many grief. So Timothy... Go to Gateway Baptist and say to those of us who are rich in this present age, not to put your hope in wealth. It will never satisfy. Put your hope in God. Two, tell them to continue to do good and to be rich in good deeds as many of them already are. And number three, Timothy, go to them and tell them to be generous and to be willing to share. But finally, Timothy, sum it up by saying this. 1 Timothy 6 verse 19. Take hold of the life that is truly life. It says this, In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Jesus says it in Luke 12 like this, Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, And these things will be given to you as well. You know what? There is a narrative in life. There is a narrative in our culture. There is a narrative that many of us are born into. And the narrative says this. The whole goal of your life is to earn enough so that when you get old, you can have enough to sustain your life until the point of your death. It sounds very simplistic, But many of us have lived that story or are living that story. Spend your whole life earning enough so that in your old age, you can be comfortable enough until the point of your death. God has a bigger purpose for your life than that. God has a bigger purpose for your life than that. 
Stop spending all your days focusing every moment and every piece of energy and every bit of anxiety towards deciding how you're going to be comfortable enough in your old age until the day of your death. That is not a great goal for life. The greatest goal for life is to come before God and say, God, you've given me numbered days on this earth. How can I use them for the betterment of others, for the glory of your name and for the furthering of your kingdom work? Because they are the things that I can carry with me in to the life that you offer of all eternity. The Bible makes it clear that the things that we have of this world are not an eternal story. They cannot go with us. Jesus says, no matter what you build, no matter what you have, one day they'll crumble, they'll perish, rust will get them, the moss will get to them, they will be no more. But seek first the kingdom of God. Here and now, understand we cannot take stuff with us. We cannot take our wealth with us, but we can choose to use the wealth that we have to build into the things that we can take with us. To build into the things of the kingdom. To feed the hungry. To give sight to the blind. To give hope to the hopeless. And to speak the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Now that's a life to sign up with. Sign up for. Hey, I want to land this with a very practical challenge for all of us today, and it's this. This doesn't just happen by you going, yes, I want to be more generous. I want to be more willing to share. I don't want to put my hope in wealth. You've actually got to do something about it. So I want to encourage you this week to find the space and find the people. In my house, the people is me and Christy, my wife, because together we we carry a financial future for our family. And so the thing that we need to do is to sit down and go, here is our budget, here are our means. Is this glorifying God in the way we're using it? More than that, how can we practically find margin in what we have so we can continue to be generous into the things that God calls me to? If you spend your life waiting for the margin to appear itself, it probably never will. And that's why the Bible talks about giving as sacrificial. There's a cost to be generous. There's something you're going to have to give up for the sake of being able to live the value of generosity in your life. So would you do that this week? Would you sit? Would you look at your budget and you say, okay, how do I apply these simple principles? I'm not going to put my hope in this. This is not going to be the story of my life. I'm going to choose to do good and be rich in good deeds. And I'm going to choose to be generous and willing to share. Okay, if we're going to do that, we need to sit down and crunch some numbers and work out how we build the margin to be able to live the value that we want with our life. Let's pray. God, thank you for your incredibly practical words, your incredibly practical encouragements. God, you don't do it because you're chasing stuff from us. You do it because you're chasing us. And you know in our world, in our culture, in our society, that one of the things that so easily gets in the way of you becoming the place of greatest devotion are things, are money, are possessions, are the chase for wealth and abundance. God, I want to pray that you would do a deep work in some of us, that you would cause some of us to turn around and stop looking at what we don't have, but starting to adopt lives of gratitude for the things that we do have and asking the question of how we can use the resources that you've gifted to us to better the lives of others. God, may we always place you in the place of ultimate 
devotion and ultimate worship in our life, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, just before we land today, I do want to talk for a couple of minutes very, very practically about the church family budget. As I said, if you're a visitor with us today, if you've come with a friend, if you're just checking this church out, you can just check out for the next couple of minutes. But if this is the place where God has placed you, if this is the church family that he's asked you to be part of and to contribute towards, let me just talk about where things are at and where things are headed. I do want to start by acknowledging the generosity of this church. I've been here for 20 years and we have story after story after story of how generous people have enabled incredible ministry to happen by sacrificially giving of what God has given them. We could share so many stories this morning. And I want to, but I want to say thanks to every single one of you that has contributed of your resources to enabling the vision that God's put in our hearts become reality. We could not do this without each other. I could talk to you this morning about the hundreds of kids and young people being impacted every week, both here at Mackenzie and Ormo. I could tell stories from our care center. We've already heard a great story this morning from the work of Gateway Beyond. We could take you down to see the work of CareWorks. I could talk about the blessings of life groups. I could talk about the way the Gateway Ministry School is enabling and equipping people to serve with their life into the future. But this morning, let me pick on something that I know really well. Let me pick on the story of Ormo for a minute. I've already said to you today that wealth's not something we can take with us into eternity, but it's something that we can use now for the kingdom purposes of God on this earth. Five, uh, November 2011, November 2011, we stood in front of this congregation in this room on this stage sharing the vision of Gateway wanting to go and plan a brand new campus in this emerging suburb on the northern Gold Coast called Ormo. And we were very confident about what that looked like, although none of us had any idea. It was a brand new journey. We were setting out. We were just walking in faith with what God was calling us to. We were going to just turn up, start preaching the word, start singing songs of praise to Jesus and start loving on people and hope the rest all fell into place. Well, the good news is we've actually worked out a bit more since then. Five and a half years in, we are flourishing and we're established and we're reaching people. And we've got kids from our community flowing into our kids club and our youth group. We started a church with one teenager. We had 46 people on our youth camp last weekend, kids and leaders. And God's doing something good in Ormo. But you know where it started? It started with us coming before you saying, we can't do this on our own. We need Gateway's generosity. We need Gateway's resources to make this happen. And so this church generously allowed 50 people to walk out and go and start a new work. But this church also in one Sunday... Uh, exceeded all of our expectations, gave $125,000 to the startup of the Ormo campus. And the good news is that money's been put to good work. Lives have been changed for forever because of the generosity of a group of people in this room that God compelled their hearts to give to something that he called them to give to. And here's the exciting reality. We're going to do this again, this church planning journey. We're going to do it again, 2018. We're going again and again. Now the faith moment. And again and again and again and again. We don't know what that looks like, but hey, next year it's definitely happening. Beyond that, we're just going to lean into God and see what doors he opens. But the reality is vision costs. 
And we as a church work on a calendar year budget. And right now, as of this weekend, we are sitting $110,000 behind our budget for 2017. And if that doesn't change, there's some things that are part of the vision we believe God called us to live out this year that are going to have to be put on hold or paused or scaled back if we don't reach that mark. And so I want to put out a very, very practical challenge to you all this morning. If you're part of this church, can we lift together and hit the finish line of this year in good shape? Can we lift together and hit the finish line of this year in good shape? That means continuing to give weekly to sustain the budget between now and the end of the year, but seeing if before God we can actually find something to help us bridge the gap that currently exists. I want to say this. If you are giving regularly and sacrificially to the work of this local church, thank you. Please keep doing it. Maybe do what I need to do. You see, I've been doing it for so long and it just comes out of my account now. It's just part of the rhythm and the value of my family that we give regularly and sacrificially the work of our local church where we're planted occasionally we need to go back and revisit that and say god i just don't want to do this in autopilot is there more that you're asking of us maybe you need to revisit it i want to say this if you're part of this family and what you give is really just loose change you know you give if there's something left in your pocket from the week i invite you to sit before god and ask whether there's a way that you could become a regular financial sacrificial contribute. As I said, it's sacrificial because it will cost you something. I'm not going to stand here and pretend that it's not going to cost you anything. It will cost you something. There's always a cost. You say, God, is this how you're calling me to be generous, to give to this vision that you've called us towards together? You know, if you're a regular part of this place and you're not giving it all, if you're reaping the benefit of all the gateway is and you're not giving and you're in a position to give, Maybe now's the time to have the conversation and ask the question, is it time to start? The reality is we, we don't know who gives. We don't track where our giving comes from. This is a conversation for you and your family and a conversation to have with God. You know, I grew up in a church where this concept that we find uh, throughout the Bible in the Old Testament named called tithing was something that was preached and something that was encouraged as an ongoing practice. And 10% has become a benchmark for our family because the tithe was to give the first of your income, the first 10% to the work of the local church. And for us, that's been a great discipline in our family. I don't want to get into the discussion today of whether tithing is a biblical requirement in the New Testament because the answer to that is it's not a legalistic requirement that sits over you. But here's the truth. The only people that ever come up to me and say, I want to talk about whether the tithe is a 10% requirement on my life today are people that are really wanting it to not be so they can go, so I'm justified in giving my 0.3% then. People that are generous never come and question that. They just go, well... We're not obliged to that. But you know what? When Jesus talked to people, he told them to go sell everything and give it to the poor. And 10% sounds like a good deal compared to that. We're going for that benchmark. Because that's the New Testament benchmark. But for me, I only only teach this for a reason. It's not a requirement. It's not a legal requirement. God's not going to smite you if you don't do this. But sometimes we need a benchmark. And for my family, that's been an important benchmark. It's given us somewhere to start. And we regularly need to come before God and say, God, is there more we can do? And we give generously, not just to the church, but to other areas and other organizations because that's what God's calling us to do. You see, if we live through this legal requirement, some of us 
stretch beyond our means and it breaks us, but some of us just take it as license. Because maybe what God wants to ask you to do is to start actually becoming more generous than the life that you've lived to this point. I want to encourage you beyond a formula today. David Crutow, I don't know who he is, but he said something that I really like, and I've used this many times. He says this, the New Testament does never drives us to a calculator to decide our giving. It drives us to our knees and to God himself. I ask you this week, would you come before God and ask, what does this mean for me? And what does this mean for my giving to this local church? You know, I've got to be honest, I'd rather not be the one up here having to ask this question today. And some of you don't love that I'm up here asking this question, but if that's you, just be glad that you're not the one that has to stand up and do this. Thanks, thanks, mate. <laughs> but I, had a th- I was thinking about it this week as I was preparing to talk to the church. I thought, man, well, it would be great not to have to get up and say, you know, there's a gap that needs to be bridged. I'd love not to have to have that conversation, but, but something really struck me. I would rather be part of a church whose God-given vision was beyond our human capacity right now. That was always like, man, God's calling us to do more stuff. Can we lift so together we can live out the vision that He's given for us? I'd rather have that conversation than the one that says, hey guys, we're flush. We don't have enough vision to spend the money that you're giving, so just scale it back a bit, please. I'd rather stand here and say, man, what God's calling us to do together is so big and so extensive and so exciting. There's more kids to feed. There's more churches to plant. There's more young people's lives to speak hope into. There's more life groups we need. We're going to start Gateway Care Ormo in 2018. We don't know how we're going to do that yet, but we're going to do it together. Let our vision always exceed the resource and let God provide the resource to meet the vision. And here's the thing. God doesn't just plonk stuff into our account. He actually invites us to be part of the solution. And church, that's all I'm asking. Would you help finish this year well and be part of the solution? If you want to know how to give, you can get information from our welcome desk. You can jump online, Gateway Baptist Church. I do everything electronically these days. Never ask me for cash because I've never got any. But we give electronically and all the details for how to do that are on our website. You can access that today. But would you come before God and ask, this is your church family, how you can help us fulfill the vision that God's put on our heart. I think I'm well and truly done. I think we need to finish by turning our hearts off our own circumstances and back onto Jesus. Why don't you stand with us this morning? Why don't we finish by declaring some truth about the goodness of God. Let's just turn our hearts towards gratitude for all He's given us, for all He's done for us, for the richness that He gives to us in His presence and His church.